Hello and welcome to another episode of the Verti Podcast. My name's Nick Perez and on today's episode I'm delighted to be joined by Rosie Collins who's a director and photographer and creative consultant who's focused on the positive use cases of emerging technologies. Now Rosie's a creative director of the Fred Company and the Fred Company are a creative studio that combine uh, uniquely technology, neuroscience and creativity to produce fun and impactful work that does good in the world. Some examples of this work are exploring immersive technologies and improving well-being at work, such as working with the NHS, linking in with Grenfell Health and Wellbeing team to offer relaxation sessions in VR for clinicians in trauma services. Also involved with co-designing and building immersive experiences around mental health training and awareness, and working with charities such as the Children's Society, and really contributing in general to the powerful world of immersive content. So let's join the conversation now as Rosie tells us more. Rosie, thanks so much for joining me on this podcast episode. Um, we've been well, we've been chatting for quite a few years, and I've been following the work you've been doing. And I think what I really get from the work that you're doing is you've brought this wonderful idea of creativity to a serious subject, and actually brought elements of fun within that as well. Can we just start by talking about the importance of creativity in something like healthcare or something like? mental health training and awareness you know because it is important isn't it creativity i i'm i completely sold on it i mean my background is photography and filmmaking and my previous work before we kind of ended up down this route was all very silly and like hopefully quite good from a technical perspective but still very much involving fun and creativity and and hopefully making people laugh and having fun while they're on shoots and all that kind of thing and I always found that at that stage, I was always very keen on like, if I ran a set that everyone was having fun, we were still getting stuff done, but that it had yeah. the right vibe around because I felt like that got the best out of everybody and they wanted to come back and everyone would work harder when they were having fun doing their jobs. Um, and I guess it was quite of a, a bit of a weird way that I came into doing this work. You know, it was a bit of a roundabout way getting into going from photography to film to VR. Yeah. And then um, I was working with a, a psychologist, Helen, who um, was an old school friend of mine, who we'd been working on some ideas with uh, Ross O'Brien, who later became the head of the Grenfell NHS service. Yeah. And at that point, we'd been talking about ways that we could try and update the politely put not brilliant NHS comms around uh, IAPT access, um, which at the, that point was putting up some A4 posters around saying, are you feeling very sad? Would you like to come and talk to someone? Which unsurprisingly was not massively successful at engaging right. people to come in. So we were talking about using Facebook as a way to be like, you know, do your mental health MOT or, you know, to harnessing some of that more modern fun kind of approach. And that was when, when the Grenfell fire happened. So that kind of got paused. They all moved over onto that new service. Um, but we'd already kind of, everyone had kind of realized that we were all kind of on board with this idea of, not at all making light of something that was very serious, obviously, but the traditional approaches weren't working, particularly over at Grenfell. Um, there was obviously some very significant issues around trust with the authorities mm. because of that context. Um, so we kind of started very light touch. We're like, I was like, if we take VR to places, people will come and play. That was kind of the basic starting point. And there is benefit to people like smiling a bit and having some fun when they've been through something awful. Um, and we found, I know there's certainly some resistance for some people who were like, well, where's the line between just doing some fun stuff 
And then when are you going to do the serious therapy bit with VR? And I'm like, there's not, I don't see them as like separate things. You know, I think VR in itself uh, and laughter and play and all of those things are therapeutic. And there's a huge amount of evidence around that. Obviously, I think people know it instinctively, um, but there is plenty of scientific literature around that as well and research on it. Yeah. Um, And so I think, I think doing stuff at Grenfell was a quite unusual one because it was a brand new service. Uh, so they were kind of creating it as they went. So it was a little bit different from us coming into a really well-established service and saying, we want to now do this completely random thing that you're not used to. It was kind of part of that development. So they were much more open, I think, to different approaches. Yeah. Um, and so the the early stuff we were doing was very much just bringing VR to the community spaces and things like that, just as a, as a nice engagement tool, giving people something fun to do, but we would have outreach workers there in case while people had come in, we were able to then start a conversation with them. And we found very early on that by, by the VR being there and that being the engagement uh, sort of process, yeah. changed that relationship. People didn't see them as this kind of distant professional person who was there to kind of therapize them. It was just someone who was there while this nice thing was happening. It seemed to like kind of very bring down those barriers a bit and they just wow. saw each other as humans seemed to be the thing and people just get so much chattier like if you've ever seen people playing in vr they always want to tell you what they're seeing when they take the headset off they want to tell you what they've seen and talk to you about it and we found that that very quickly led to talking about other stuff as well so once the floodgates had opened to talking about whatever they were watching Mm. it was far easier to then start more important serious conversations um, and that seemed to work really well. We sort of did a lot of stuff with the outreach team there, literally from standing on Portobello Road with a VR headset, offering people a ride on a roller coaster, <laughs> rather than their traditional thing of standing with an NHS banner saying, have you been affected by Grenfell? Which yeah. unsurprisingly on their lunch breaks, most people don't want to stop and talk about something like that. Yeah. But they'll stop and talk, like have a go on a VR headset and then say, what are you doing here? And when you start talking about it, they're like, oh, all right. And then you know, it'll open up. That's that's incredible because the technology actually does enhance the humanity, if you like. And that's something I've always been really keen to look at, actually, is how we can improve connectivity through technology. And I've got a wonderful case where I was using um, tilt brush with nurses after they'd have had busy, long shifts. And the expression, the artistic ability, they would go in the headset and they would draw and they would share the experiences with each other because tilt brush is so good for that. And it was it was the conversations that occurred afterwards between them, which was so powerful. And it sounds like this was evidence of that as well. Hundred percent, exactly the same thing. And and I think that's the really key thing as well. Is the I think quite often with the VR people are like, I've seen it at galleries. You know, you'll go and watch some really high end VR experience at somewhere mm-hmm. like the Tate, and then once you're finished, they take the headset off and usher you out the room. And I'm like, you're missing like this. <laughs> that's like the best possible time to engage with somebody and like get them to really think about what they've just seen to really kind of learn something from it. Um, and it just comes super naturally. Like when, when you've been doing that with VR, you don't have to, you don't have to encourage it at all. It just happens almost like every time people just get chatty and they want to talk. And I think that that in itself is incredibly interesting, you know, whatever it is that they've been doing, whether it is roller coasters or tilt brush or, even a mindfulness, you know, mm. relaxation thing, it just gets people talking more. So how important is the before and after of a VR experience then? Because 
I think we can tend to look at VR as intervention. That's that. But actually, it sounds like it's the before experience and it's the after experience that all can, you know, builds the whole Absolutely. thing. You know. To some extent, unless you're obviously there's sort of certain aspects, like if you're doing tilt brush as part of like art therapy or something yeah. like that. But in general, like I kind of think to some extent, the content itself matters less. Obviously, this is, is in the way that we've been working and what we've been trying to achieve with it. But it's kind of setting up a safe space. So that's everything from like physically being in a safe place where they're not going to hurt themselves in a place where the person feels comfortable, because obviously it can be quite vulnerable if you're putting on a headset, especially for the yeah. first time. You're kind of aware that other people might be watching you. You might look silly, you know, that that side of things. Mm. Um, but like explaining to people what they're going to see. And making sure that they're comfortable with any controls they need to use, all of that stuff. And like that takes time. You can't just be like 30 seconds, shove someone in a headset and expect them to have a great experience. Yeah. Like that's you you might alienate a lot of people, I think, because they'll try they'll try that once. And if it doesn't make sense to them, like the logic of how the controllers work because they're handed explained properly, they will think VR isn't for them. They'll think yeah. it doesn't make sense and they don't like it, it's too complicated. But if you're taking five minutes more to actually set that up properly and that sort of building a relationship even in that short time between the person delivering it and the person who's watching it that puts them in a more comfortable place which makes it more likely they're going to feel properly immersed and they're going to have a more positive experience i think so yeah. whatever it is the content that they're seeing that part of it i think is incredibly important like you can't do that in like a big public busy space and expect someone that that can be great you know if you want yeah. to do a beat saber tournament and make everyone have a fun exciting time that can be yeah. a really good thing but obviously it just has to be appropriate for what you're trying to achieve with that person yeah um and especially when it comes to like this type of context we're talking about with say using it with someone who's been traumatized for example um and you're trying to do something which is helping them to relax that needs to be in a place that's comfortable for them which generally is not somewhere public and it's not somewhere noisy and it's somewhere they can really just like feel comfortable experiencing it mm. but I think really for me the the most sort of rich time where you can get something really valuable for everybody is when they are sort of taking the headset off where people naturally want to talk they want to tell you what they've seen they're kind of they're processing everything they've seen so they're telling you more about it they're going to remember it more um but trying to find a way that that then has some sort of longer term benefits whatever it is so if you've been doing a mindfulness experience thinking about how you're going to now take that what you've learned in vr into the real world so how mm. are you going to try out mindfulness in your local park now now that you've learned some of these techniques for example mm. um and i think that kind of you need to kind of wrap it up with a sort of beginning middle and an end so that when people leave they feel like they've had a complete experience it's kind of got a proper conclusion to it and it, it has sort of a closure almost where they've kind of had this, the whole little package. Mm. And I think that's quite often a thing that's missing. You know, if you've been to, you know, been to tons of tech events as well, quite often yeah. people put you in the headset, be like, have a go at this. See ya. See ya. Like, kind of the end of it. And like, <laughs> you're missing out. Like you'd be getting loads more people buying your stuff. If you spent like, I, I, everyone's so keen on scaling I think they're so keen on numbers and it's like we want to get a thousand people to have come and experience this thing because that's our box ticked mm. but like, I'd much rather have 30 people who come and have a really really rich experience they really engage with it and they're going to go and tell their friends and they're going to share it and they're going to really get something out of it if you're trying to whiz through a thousand people by just putting them in the experience and then getting them out the door 
like there's no long-term benefit to anyone with that Absolutely one. Absolutely right. Just a box tick. And I, and I don't know about you, but when you do spend that time with the individual, um, they will often return to, to, to VR because it's it, it's been something that's been an important moment for them in many ways. When, when, when you have that debrief, if you like, that concluding chapter. But, but I think I've probably sold so many oculus quests and, and riffs over the years because of spending that time i mean oculus should be paying me commission you know <laughs> i have said that myself like that the the number of times especially since the quest came out but the yeah. go well the amount of times i've been with someone they're like how much does this cost and you tell them and they're like i'm going to argos tomorrow i'm gonna to get one um and actually i said i was doing some um conversations with some of the service users at Grenfell who've now been using the VR in with with a therapist with one of the psychologists who who, who we'd been working with a bit she'd come to our staff or being study where we'd looked at using VR as a relaxation tool testing it out with the staff to start with because it's apart from anything a little bit easier and it's somewhere where we thought yeah. every time we did stuff with the staff we're like actually these people are working incredibly hard yeah really stressed and they don't have long to take breaks so we looked at like, using nature treks uh, initially uh, as we were like, if we can put people in there for 10 minutes, can we provide a useful relaxation space where most of the time, you know, people don't have beautiful break rooms. They don't have a park around the corner that they can go and hang out and get their nature fixed that, that ideally you would be getting. Yeah. Had amazing results from it. And this, this psychologist, Sue, came along and she immediately, she's like in her late 50s, no background in technology at all. Like she, like... I don't think she'll mind me saying like she couldn't even work out how to send me a video on WhatsApp, let alone like being a techie person. Um, and interestingly, she, she sort of straight away was the most excited about, she was like, she could immediately think of people who this was going to be beneficial for. Um, and I was just speaking to a couple of her clients today who both been very badly affected by Grenfell, lost, lost uh, relatives in the fire and things. Um, and both of them, we, we talked to about what their experience of VR had been. Uh, and both, like, it was amazingly significant to them. Yeah. Like, what a big change it had felt like it had made for them. Like, both of these people are, like, older blokes. Um, one kind of very working class, like, London guy, by his own description, is like, <laughs> I don't talk to people about my feelings. Like, it's not a thing I grew up with. So dealing with Grenfell and then sort of going and sitting with a professional, like it took four or five sessions, he said, before he felt anywhere near comfortable enough with her to start actually sort of talking about this stuff. Mm. Um, and the other chap, sort of similar thing, you know, they're both kind of about 60, kind of very set in their ways, you know, it's like it's a yeah. new idea to be talking to someone about what they're feeling. Um, and both of them had start, worked with Sue, started to really trust her. And then so she thought, we'll try the VR with them and see if that can help with a bit of a breakthrough. And both of them, she said, like kind of straight away, they were kind of spontaneously speaking, which is a thing they'd found very hard before. Both of them very shut down kind of in terms of sharing their emotional feelings. Both of them have been quite socially isolated, like mm. physically inactive, like all of these things that obviously kind of spin uh, as results of, of what had happened. Um, and this, this one guy that I was speaking to today, he was like, I've never seen someone so enthusiastic about something. And he, he was sort of, he, he'd gone out and bought himself a VR headset, an Oculus Go. And he was like, couldn't really afford it, but I wanted one myself wow. so much. And he now uses it like daily. 
as an emotion regulation tool like he wouldn't he wouldn't really think of it like that i think you know he doesn't think of it in a very structured way like that yeah but he absolutely does he's very conscious of it he's like when i'm feeling really stressed and anxious or when i can't sleep or when you know all of these different points even when he was saying when he gets angry at work because he's like got stressed with his colleagues around you know as a result mm. of this he's like i'm gonna start taking in my vr headset so that i can take myself off into a room and chill myself out rather than having an argument with somebody <laughs> and he's using this like every day now and this was like these kind of behavior changes that people are seeing um you know people who have struggled for years will have after a couple of sessions of using vr uh this this chap that i was talking this other guy i was talking to today he was like i put on nature treks and he's been spending a huge amount of time at home. He hadn't been going out at all. Mm. Um, he was reminded of the beauty of the world and was like, I should go out and spend more time in nature. I've remembered how beautiful London is and all the parks that are there. So it very quickly as well, what was interesting with him was, I, th I think a lot of times people worry about VR being this isolating thing that is going to yeah. be like weirdos sitting at home in their bedroom in the dark, you know, in a fantasy world. Yeah. But what we see again and again and again is actually that VR can be this spark to actually getting out in the real world and socializing with real people. It's not yeah. all about virtual life in some kind of CGI world. It's, it's just enough to kind of spark off that idea of yeah. wanting to be out in the real world. And that was, that was something I actually was going to ask you next, as, as you mentioned that, but you've absolutely nailed it, you know, hit the nail on the head. I think a lot of people worry that VR is, is, is this forced replacement of the real activity, particularly when you talk about nature, particularly when you talk about communication and interaction between people. But actually what it is, is it's often a reminder uh, to us about the things that we love, the things that we've enjoyed at one point or another. And um, what the, the examples you give are really powerful use cases of actually where VR is helping us I guess be human in many ways, which is really funny when you think about it. But what's been the um for you then? I mean, coming from a film background, there's loads of questions I have for you about that because that's very similar to myself coming from kind of a film background. And we'll go back there again in a minute. But what's been the the kind of the best bits for you then? When you've I mean, you obviously talked talked a lot there about some of the reactions you've had. But what what have been the best bits for you using VR over the years so far? Um, I mean, I guess it's been quite a organic thing of me ending up here and if I see friends I haven't seen for a few years and I tell them what I'm doing now they're like what <laughs> where did that come from yeah. um, but I think because we've kind of approached it and I guess partly with um the work we've been doing with Grenfell and the same work we've been yeah. doing with the Children's Society we've been quite lucky I think in finding these partners who don't have this very strict kind of return on investment like if we're going to do this we need to know exactly what you know yeah what are the different markers we're hitting and how many numbers are we you know all of that kind of stuff that i do not like i just want to make nice stuff that helps people or makes them happy or whatever yeah um, and both of them as partners we've really had the time to kind of explore stuff so like we were talking about earlier you know co-design and and but genuinely doing that mm. not doing it as a box tick where we say we've done some consultation and sat and listened to people and then just done whatever we wanted anyway yeah. um and that's actually been probably one of the most interesting things because now for me like even in my commercial projects or whatever it's like absolutely the starting point is let's go and have a chat with whoever it is is our target audience because i could spend days and days and days of time thinking of ideas and sitting in front of a computer you have half an hour of a chat with the person that you want to do something with yeah. nine times out of ten 
they'll give you some brilliant idea immediately that is probably costs a tenth of what you were thinking to do, is loads simpler, doesn't require you hiring all this posh kit, doing something really fancy, and will actually help people. Mm. And so that's really helped across the board with my stuff. I'm like, it makes my job a hell of a lot easier if I go and like talk to somebody and they just tell me what the answer is, you know, a lot of times. And then we <laughs> kind of shape it that way rather than, you know, it's kind of forced me to be, I think, a bit less uh, thinking I know what is right. You know, I still have my own kind of personal projects that I do and I have my approaches to how I want to do them. Yeah. But when it comes to all this kind of work, you know, the the trying to work as closely as you can with the people that you're actually going to be, you're trying to do work for or that's going to help them um, but actively kind of engaging with them in it so like with the you know with most of these things when we're doing focus groups or whatever I like make sure we're actually paying people at least in vouchers or something because I realized early on this happens all the time you know mm. especially when it comes to sort of the do good kind of projects you'll go and like do focus groups with people everyone else in the room is being paid you know I'm being paid my company's making a profit doing this work and yet the person there who's coming and being the most useful, like yeah. the provider of ideas and, and insight is expected to just come and do it for what? Like goodwill. <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's kind of outrageous. And yeah. it's been quite funny a few times when I've suggested that and they're like, Oh, we're not allowed to pay people. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like you're yeah. allowed to pay me. Why aren't you allowed to pay them? And, and unsurprisingly that then means they turn up to focus groups when they know they're going to actually be paid for their time and stuff. Um, but I guess the, I think that the <laughs> long rambly way of saying it, but, but very often it's like that things can be much simpler. I have a real tendency to kind of have an idea and then be like, and then we could do this and this and this and this, and then we could try this new technique and then we could, yeah. do, you know, and getting carried away with, with things and actually doing all of this work. I've realized that so much of it just is much simpler. And, and the quicker and simpler you can make something, the quicker you can be doing something useful and impactful. So we were talking a bit earlier about this in terms of like uh, using pre-existing apps, for example. So yeah. we, we found NatureTrex. The first time we downloaded it, both of us were sitting in the office and were like, oh, this is kind of beautiful and yeah. really simple, but incredibly calm and like, oh, it's raining and it's lovely. There's no gamified, you know, there's, there's some interaction, yeah. but it's not like... There's no winning or losing. There's nothing in it. And I'm like, well, we can use this now. Like yeah. this exists and it's great. So they've put huge amounts of time and money to get this to a point, you know, well, they've done all this research. So why don't we just use that and partner with them? Because we can do this tomorrow. And this time tomorrow, someone will already be feeling better. And yeah. that kind of, you know, it's one of the frustrations potentially with working with the NHS or these bigger organizations. It's just like things are just so slow. Mm. And that's what I get frustrated with. You know, I'm used to kind of more commercial work where it's like get hired to do a job and make it and then it's done. Yeah. And yeah. this stuff is obviously dragged out generally a huge amount. Yeah. And I think because we've seen like really striking uh, beginnings of behavior change and people's kind of responses to using VR. Um, it's the kind of thing where you're like, we should just be doing this now with like everyone, like the people we were talking, the two guys we were talking to today, both of them were like, everyone should have VR headsets in the same way as everyone's got a mobile phone. They're like, this is like life changing. This is, you know, led to all of these different, like really positive things in my life. Yeah. Just from like, like a few sessions, you know, Absolutely. it's not like a structured course in it or anything either. It's just the fact of the using of the VR. And yeah. um, so 
you, you obviously speak there's a great value to, to to your insights and nature treks for me as well i mean i absolutely love it i mean i think it's fantastic and you make a point there about actually sometimes it's the simple experiences which are the most effective in terms of not just time frame but actually you know something like nature treks where you can choose a scene and you can just sit there and watch it i mean in, in many situations that's enough for for some people and i think it's this idea that complexity doesn't need to exist in every solution there is um it's actively the wrong thing mm. you know people don't want necessarily like a really complicated game and i think it's a thing i come across a lot on facebook groups you know where people are talking about like when the quest came out there's always like a there's always one very vocal kind of load of people who are saying, oh, they're using the Qualcomm, blah, 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 like, you know, mobile processor, whatever. This is going to be no good for AAA games. As if, like, that literally hasn't crossed their mind that there isn't other really nice stuff to do with VR that isn't Absolutely. really high-end, complicated, hours and hours and hours of gameplay games that yeah. have super high-end graphics that have, you know, all of that complication to it. And genuinely just don't seem to get their head around that fact and i'm like for me yeah. and i think for you and lots of other people who are doing stuff in our kind of area the quest is incredible like it yeah. could not be more perfect i don't need every little bit of bells and whistles on tilt brush to be able to do a workshop with like 20 kids i can rock up now with a quest with five yeah. quests for the price of my vive and high-end pc which previously i had to get a taxi because yeah. I had all the extension leads and stands and all of that stuff to take one vibe setter up. <laughs> yeah. One by one people can get and they stand and wait. Like last summer we went and did one of the community days over uh, Grenfell Way. And I took the year before I'd been put near the toilets because it was the only place that had plugs. So I had my vibe set up near the loo basically inside on this beautiful summer day. And I'd had to get a taxi there because I had all my stuff. Blah, blah, blah. And then the following year, because the quest had just come out, I took the train, I took my dog, I had one rucksack with like three quests and a couple of goes. And with one other person, we had all of them going for like six hours nonstop. And we must have had like 300 people probably come through in an afternoon. Wow. And, you know, for me, that's like absolutely phenomenal. And no one there was complaining about any element of what they were seeing. Everyone had their minds blown, yeah. came back to multiple goes, you know, and, I think you can forget as well when you work in VR that a lot of people know nothing about it really. So still just like a simple experience on a, on a go can be absolutely incredible. Um, yeah. And you don't have to constantly be trying to do the new cutting edge thing. There's a lot of ego, I think, around, I want to be the first person. You know, the amount of posts you see of like the world's first or the highest end or the highest resolution or whatever the thing yeah. is. Yeah. It doesn't matter, you know, always. And I, and I totally agree. And, it, and when I spoke to um, Sarah Jones in, the, in, a, in a previous episode, we talked about this idea of a spectrum and suitability and that actually, you know, there is certain parts of virtual reality which are going to be more suited for a particular art audience and, and others as well. But there's, that's, not a, that's not a means to dismiss the low fidelity or the approachable or the accessible, um, you know, content and technology. And perhaps there's an education there then for all of us who are involved in this industry that actually there is there is there all the technology is valid for a particular person for a particular time and a particular cause or, or need. Exactly, it has to be relevant. It's got to be appropriate. You know, yeah. Some, some people might want to play Beat Saber for three hours on one day, and the next day 
not want to use VR at all, or they might want to do nature tricks or something. It's not, okay. there's no one size fits all for like in terms of individuals, but then there's also a different day you're going to feel different. So you need to sort of peg it, you know, appropriately. Yeah. It's, it's, there is no, this is the best type of VR, you know, yeah. it's, it's complete nonsense, you know. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that for me it's always been accessibility comfort and making sure the person that's using it just feels like they have um a part to play an ownership or some sort of involvement and if that for me that meant starting with cardboard people apt i know people rip into cardboard like this was the worst thing that happened for me in in my particular audience and need it was the only way to start the journey okay from a price point of view from the very fact that somebody who has no experience of virtual reality or doesn't like technology could actually assemble the headset and and see what it was about use technology that's familiar with them with a smartphone that was such an important start of a journey now granted i think the goes replaced that and does a good job and the quest again like you've mentioned the fact you can take that into an environment which is comfortable for somebody so you can take it into a staff room you can take it into someone's lounge that's where the real value actually happens is the environment from which you're doing that and you're having that interaction is, is really important. Could I could I um, ask you before we kind of go on to kind of more concluding questions, could you tell me a little bit about your uh, journey with content creation and what how you feel 360 video plays a role in all this as well? Because like you, I've been exploring 360 degree video interaction, interactive 360 as well as a filmmaker. What do you what do you what have you brought across in terms of influences into 360? Um I mean I get quite annoyed just in general, like we were sort of saying earlier, like all of this kind of exclusivity around it. You know, these people who are like, this is VR and this isn't, and incredibly dismissive of 360 video. And so my starting point anyway is like it's so new. Yeah. You know, so many people are, you know, no one has worked out how to nail 360. You know, there's there was all the early stuff with put a VR 360 camera in a refugee camp and make people feel sympathetic towards them. And I think there's, there's obviously that proved one thing, you know, yeah. that you could make people feel immersed in a place. You could have a sense of being there, improve empathy, you know, the whole empathy machine thing. Yeah. Um, and then, so everyone did that for a while. And then people start doing some slightly more creative stuff and they start putting them on drones and you do nature things. And it's like, but, I mean, this has been a few years, you know, think back in the day we had the, the whole load of the, um, Oh, all oh, the GoPros. GoPro. Oh my I went, God. I, went, I thought you were talking it's about so I used one. I can't even remember what they're called. I know. But remember how much of a nightmare it was to kind of do content. I remember now. it. I had a nine, I had a, I had a rig with nine GoPros, right? But it meant I just didn't do anything because I was like, <laughs> that doesn't suit my personality and how I want to do work. It's like, I can't be bothered to do all of that and then find out the next day when I finally synced it all up that one of the cameras wasn't working or something. And I've got that happened so many times to me. It was such yeah, a pain. <laughs> So it's only really like, you know, when things like the Insta One X have come out where you've got something that's like pretty, pretty good quality, but very accessible. Yeah. So that kind of means that, you know, you've got photographers and filmmakers can sort of make a dip their toe into the world of 360, um, but without like a big investment. Um, but it also means there's a huge amount of people who have absolutely zero background in filmmaking and understanding how to tell a good story and how to, you know, that side of filmmaking, which is not about high-end cameras yeah um and so you've got the internet flooded with all kinds of rubbish 
And then that means people see that and say 360 video is rubbish. And I'm like, it was the same when the 5D came out. There was all of these films. You didn't, you didn't say, well, films are rubbish because all of these amateur filmmakers have come out and decided I've got a 5D now. I can make good quality films. Um, and so I think apart from anything, it's just so early. Like you can't, you can't like uh, judge it yet anyway. It's been a couple of years. You know, if you judged every new idea off that, I think it massively has a place, you know, with the new kit, you can turn things around very quickly. You can kind of do test shoots. You can yeah. uh, try things out with people, see if it, you know, if the audience like it, you know, treating those little cameras almost like a Polaroid, like you would back in the day with stills photography. Um, I think it can be hugely impactful. Um, and yeah. we've seen it again and again, like people still absolutely love it. And if you're not a snob about your technology and if you're not, you know, not saying you have to be doing stuff in a certain way. I think where we're at with VR and, and all of this stuff in general, is just so early. You need to just keep it open and just try stuff out. And if stuff yeah. doesn't work, you try something else. Yeah. You can't write off an entire genre before it's had anywhere near its time to kind of settle into yeah. working out the rules of how to do it appropriately. Well, I think, I think you're absolutely right. And, and people look at the history of cinema and, and, and they know it took years to work out. And, we're not even at the end of, of, of the theory of cinema, you know, and, and, you know, a bit of technology comes along. It says it's going to change the way films are made, you know, and inevitably it probably, you know, it probably contributes a little bit to a change, but it it's, you know, what I mean? it's an ongoing process and you're absolutely right. But I think what this says is how important collaboration is at this early stage that rather than getting snobby, as you say, about certain things, it's like, Okay, this doesn't work, but there's there is importance to understanding what doesn't work as much as what does work. Like writing a rule book, right? There's there's no shame in and, in and that. things like you know approaching three sixty video. It's a bit more like theatre. Like just because someone's an amazing filmmaker, yeah, doesn't mean they're going to inherently understand how to do blocking and like direct your gaze in a three sixty experience. So like working with a theatre director might make sense rather than a filmmaker. Yeah, they're probably actually going to be able to get their head around it a lot more they're going to have more experience of like very long takes of, you know, how to move people around, how to direct people to move without them realizing that they're being like encouraged to look a particular way. Like probably more so that with like the more narrative approaches. Yeah. But I think what's important as well is what I noticed with the healthcare when we find people resistant to it is this kind of assumption that you're saying this has to then replace everything that came before it. So like VR and healthcare, mm. I'm in no way suggesting that me coming in without a clinical background, is going to say, do this instead of CBT or do it instead of any of those things. It's like, this is a new tool which might be helpful in certain cases. Yeah. And it's, everyone likes it. Yeah. And the same thing with 360. No one's suggesting that 360 should replace traditional cinema. Um, but people seem like, that's always one of the arguments you seem to get from people being like, I don't want to sit and watch an hour and a half long film. headset. <laughs> like, well, nor do I. But like, I'm not saying you should. Yeah. You know, people come up with these kind of spurious arguments that no one else is actually making anyway. Like, yeah. I still love going to the movies, and I still, in my own work, we still do regular films. We're still making kind of 16, 9 content for online. I still yeah. do photography. Like, so I've, I've kind of purposely, we're not a VR company, we're not a 360 company. Um, don't know quite what we call ourselves either, still. We're just like a creative studio, I think, is our current uh, yeah. best way of describing it. But it's not a one size fits all, you know, it's not, you know, it's, it's quite easy once you get into VR, I think it's quite hard to break out of like, what's the VR thing we can do. Yeah. 
this problem. And so I always have to try and fight against it if a client comes to us and they say, we want to do a 360 film or a VR thing, mm. really challenging them on why they want to do that and what's that going to bring to it. And there's definitely value to novelty that's really engaging and it will bring people into the room, but it generally costs more. You know, it's a bit more yeah. complicated. It takes different, um, different skills and different staff and things. Um, and so I think it's just important, like we were saying, in terms of the content and the way that things are delivered, it's just using the right tool for the job. Yeah. And I, we're still so early days, especially when it comes to like VR and healthcare. God knows, like there's every bit of healthcare could probably find a way to use VR or 360 or AR or telepresence robots or yeah. all of these things. And as those costs come down and the accessibility comes down, I think in terms of the accessibility, I'm really keen to use that into like with young people, for example, because every time we do a workshop with kids, they'll come up with like a thousand new ideas, which are way more creative than the things I think I'm doing as some like creative. <laughs> um, and so if you can give people access to telepresence robots and stuff like that, yeah. they'll come up and start doing really interesting things. Um, so I think yeah. you need to, you just need to give it some time and let as many people as possible try stuff out and all learn together with it. And I think not be, in your little world of this is how I do stuff. Like yeah. work with as many different people as you can because that's when it gets really interesting, I think. Like 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 you, I'm really pro consumable, approachable, affordable technology and resolution and things like that don't matter, I don't think, as much as just being able to get it in the hands of people who have ideas and who want to create stuff themselves. I think that's such a such a powerful thing to enable, you know, it's for me that's really great. Final question for you. You mentioned your work um, with Fred, the Fred Company. I, I've noticed on your website and in the conversations we've had, you talk about fun a lot. Can you tell me the value? I know the value of fun. I love, I love having fun. You know, how important is fun in everything that we do in in the content we create, in the experiences we share, and everything? How for you, what does fun mean? Uh I mean, I think it's hugely important. Like, I know since we've been moving like i said my background was photography and then i worked filming red carpets with celebrities and stuff like that i've kind of gone through a whole gamut of stuff always the things i've enjoyed the most have been the silliest generally like for me personally without fail have been the things that have been the best received like the one thing i did was a thing called the chili channel where i made actors come into my studio eat a chili, like a really hot chili. Oh yeah. And, like dribble their way through a Shakespeare monologue. And I made it, I purposely made it super simple with a camera on a tripod. I shot everything myself. I didn't have any other crew or anything, just fitted it in around other stuff. Um, Cause I knew I'd actually edit that then because the point was it was like top and tail it, one take, yeah. no cuts. Uh, and that went absolutely everywhere. And I think probably all my friends on Facebook and things, that's the thing they remember before. Yeah. And, um, and I think there's, there's, it's, it's quite dismissive, you know, people look at like funny cat videos online and, you know, that kind of idea. <laughs> yeah. But like people love them and like there's, there's massive value in just like having a laugh. Like it's really important to take the edge off. And it's the sort of thing that these guys at Grenfell say is like, you've got all of this really heavy stuff that's going on for you, whether that's something as significant as that or just day to day life of stress of living in a city or whatever, the world falling apart at the moment. Yeah. And, and, like it's no good to just keep thinking about that so you, you have to give your brain a bit of a break and like laughter is one of the best possible things for that you know it's 
I've been learning a lot of the science stuff through Charlotte, our neuroscientist. We do a lot of chatting about this and uh, we've got a very big research literature library about all of these things. And it's, you know, the fact that laughter is a very bonding thing. And yeah. so much of the stuff that I've been learning, at least over the last couple of years of things I'm sure a lot of people already know, but we're trying to put this into a slightly more structured way so much of this stuff about well-being and things is so simple you know it's spend more time with people you like and yeah. have less time with them get out into nature do some exercise have some singing have a play have a laugh like if you could just do that loads more like you're going to be putting yourself at least in a much better position to deal with the serious stuff that that comes up later on and there's tons of you know biology around that you know having having a laugh releases endorphins it's you know all of that the biology side of it as well like there are real tangible benefits to doing this but so often these things are seen as nice to have so you know it's like mm. work comes first i've got to look after my family i've got to do all those things and then if there's time i'll go and have a beer with my mate at the pub or i'll go to the gym or i'll do my hobby or i'll do whatever the thing is that actually makes me happy and relaxed yeah and it's completely like upside down like you need to be doing these things day to day to, to like all the time you know, you should be doing this in every spare moment rather than looking at your phone and scrolling endlessly through Facebook. Like, take five minutes to, yeah. I've just taken up the drums. So I practice my drumming technique playing along with some power ballads or something. Um, and I know what a difference it makes to me. Um, but I think there's, there's so much stuff. It's kind of this guilty pleasure idea of like going out to karaoke with your mates. is like a nice to have, but it's not something you're going to prioritize necessarily as a, thing that's going to make your life better yeah. um, it's just nice if you can squeeze it in and I think that's kind of where we're focusing now is very much on like pushing into that positive psychology thing putting as many positive things into your life not just focusing on taking away anxiety yeah. and this comes to you know like with the with mindfulness say like there's already brilliant apps around like if you want to go and listen to a breathy middle-aged woman telling you to like think about your toes and do you know, what yeah <laughs> Like, fine, but I know that really put me off um, from doing mindfulness. It did not resonate with me at all. Yeah. And the only time that I started to kind of getting into it was when I started talking about doing it in a sillier way. And we were talking about doing something like Brian Blessed swearing his face off. <laughs> I'd love that. Please That's make brilliant. it. <laughs> but it still could be technically doing mindfulness, but it doesn't have to be boring, you know, yeah. and it doesn't have to be serious. Um, and actually doing, say, laughter yoga or doing karaoke or something you're kind of mindful in it because you're in the flow you know you're completely absorbed by it and it's where vr fits in as well um you're so absorbed you've got mm. this like limited cognitive capacity and if you fill it up enough with things that really take all of your senses in you just you cannot think about bad stuff yeah kind of you know the more that you can do that you can break those patterns of you know, ruminating on, on difficult issues or bad thing that's happened or worry about the future. And I think the more regularly you can do that, the more you can kind of break that pattern um, yeah. and kind of build resilience for times in the future when maybe you will face, you know, particularly difficult things. Um, it's just yeah. nice. Everyone's yeah. better. Everything's better when you have a laugh. Well, on that note, and, and thinking about Brian Blessed doing a mindfulness experience, which I, I would love to come to market. I, I just want to say thanks for joining me. On We kind of put the world to rights. I feel like we've gone you know around and, and talked about various bits, but it's just, it's really great talking to you, to understanding your experiences. And again, like talking about 
collaboration, working together, and the idea of, of technology for greater good for humanity. I think is fantastic. So, thanks so much for joining me, Rosie. Oh, thank yeah. you for having me. It's been lovely chatting to you.